I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, we did. I got to admit, though, it is sometimes tough for me with everything that's going on to keep my mind focused on what we're celebrating. I don't know if you have that problem, but just to remember, I am being thankful for what I have and the blessings. But more than that, I'm being thankful to God for his blessings, what he's given me, the, the new life in Christ, for the, just, just the fact that I woke up and am breathing and I'm walking and celebrating, can eat and enjoy life. I thank God for that, and I hope you did that. But I've, if you've noticed, I think maybe you'll agree with me that it seems like the Thanksgiving holiday has kind of gotten hijacked a little bit by some other things. The Thanksgiving holiday isn't quite what it maybe used to be. And part of that is the shopping. And uh, if many of you were probably involved in that over the last several days, but I mean, it's, when, when Thanksgiving's coming, it seems like our minds directly go to, wow, the deals, the, the shopping, uh, the, 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 the specials, the savings, and all those things I can do. And we plan our Thursdays and our Fridays and our Saturdays now around the shopping. But there's another thing that I think is hijacked Thanksgiving, and I enjoy this a little more. Football, the Thursdays, the Fridays, the Saturdays, it's okay, let's plan our schedule around the football. Thursday started off great, the Steelers lost. Uh, I just made some enemies. (laughs) Yeah, more friends, yes. Friday got even better when Kirtland one, yes, shout out to Kirtland Hornets to head into the state championship. Saturday followed by Mentor Cardinals headed to the state championship. Great, uh, we're excited about that. Go out this week, support the kids, support them. How exciting it is to be involved in something like that. I was in a community when I was about 10, 15 years ago where, where our team won this, our school won the state championship and I remember, I remember how just everybody's spirits were lifted and everybody came together, how exciting it was and we've had some of that here and, and that's exciting, part, good to be part of. And and then, of course, yesterday, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Yes, yes, yes. And the Auburn University. <laughs> uh, I had to apologize to Sally uh, for that. Uh, uh, but, uh, but we love football. And so I was thinking about it this week and I was thinking about how much. It, and, and so I went out and I combined football and shopping. And I went out and bought a new football. 50% off, it was uh, special. We, I haven't had a football in the house, at least a decent one in the house for quite a while. And this, well, this one's not decent. I mean, I got it for $13. So that doesn't make it a valuable asset in the steer house. It's not one of the things we treasure and things like that. But you place this football out in a field and have it rolling around on a field and you see how valuable it becomes. You see guys diving after it. You see punches being thrown. You see people shoving. And you see people piling on top of each other. And you see them going back and forth trying to get this ball. This ball suddenly has gone from a $13 nothing to something that people are biting each other for. They want it. They got to have it. It's precious. And in fact, if you know football, you can't do much without this ball. You got to have this ball. You want to hang on to it. If it's yours, the only time you want to give it up is if you scored. You want to keep possession of it. You treasure it. And so this week, as I was thinking about that, thinking about the treasure, and I says, I got to talk to somebody who knows what you're talking about. So I, I called Coach Tiger Laverde, our, our uh, coach at, there at uh, Kirtland. I says, Coach, what do you do to keep your players from fumbling? What do you teach them? 
And he says, well, Steve, we basically, we teach him the five points of pressure rule. And so he starts talking to me about how he does that. And, and, and you, you, maybe you've seen this too, but there are five points of pressure you want to maintain on the ball to make sure you don't fumble it. The first one is your fingertips. And you put your fingertips like a claw over the point of the ball. And all five fingertips have pressure on that ball. And you have two of them above, three below, and you hang on to that ball. But there's a problem here because you see some space between my palm and the ball. Second point of pressure is the palm. So I bring that palm down now. I got five points of pressure on my fingertips, and I got my second point of pressure in my palm. Third point of pressure is I bring it in against my inside of my forearm. Now I have three points of pressure, my fingertips, my palm, and my forearm. Fourth point of pressure is my bicep, massive bicep. There we go. <laughs> there. Fourth point of bicep is I bring it up to my chest. I stick it there in my biceps. I got it right there. And then the fifth point of pressure is right here, oh, we might need a relief pastor in a minute here, uh, right here against my rib cage, chest, tight and high and tight, I carry this ball. Now I got five points of pressure, I got my fingertips, my palm, my inside of my forearm, my bicep and my rib cage, and I carry this, and you could, anybody want to take a shot? No. 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 It's secure. It is secure, and I am in possession of it, and I am not going to give it up. Now, I know Paul, the Apostle Paul, did not have reference to American football when he wrote to Timothy. I know he was probably thinking in more of a legal sense, but the analogy is pretty close when you think about his parting thoughts to Timothy. In fact, we're in chapter six, the last chapter, and this is our last section, our last message on I love my church. And Paul is coming to the point where he's going to say his final words and the things that's most important to Timothy. And in chapter six, verse 20, I think he, he very well could have been thinking of football when he says this, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Timothy, Guard what has been entrusted to you. And that guard word there, what he's saying is, Timothy, there's been something given and you need to protect it. It comes under your protection and you need to do everything you can to make sure this is not fumbled. This is of critical importance. This is valuable. This is precious, what I'm sharing with you, Timothy. And don't drop the ball. Don't drop the ball. Guard it. You know this is important to Paul. He's looking at this, and, and this words, Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you, is a legal phrase. In fact, they would say, and when they're going away, if they're going away on someone on a trip, they would go to somebody, and they would take their valuables, and they would say, here, guard what has been entrusted to you. Guard what has been entrusted to you. And that person, relative, friend, trusted friend, would take it, and they would say, we'll guard it. We'll protect it. We will return it to you in the same condition you gave it to us. It will not deteriorate. It will not be, it will not be abused. It will not be stolen. We will watch over. We will protect. In fact, this was so important to Paul. He said it again when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, he writes these words. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. It's not just anything I've entrusted to you. 
It's precious truth. And so we might, like Paul, we might come down and look for somebody trustworthy to give what we treasure. Trustworthy. Wayne, you look like a trustworthy guy. Wayne, will you guard what's entrusted to you? Yes. All right, thank you. To the end of this message, all right? All right. <laughs> so we have this picture on our head, picture in our minds of what Paul is saying to him. He said, I have something so valuable, so treasured, so precious. You need to watch. You need to care. You need to protect it. You need to guard it through the power of the Holy Spirit. What is it? It's the treasured truth, the precious truth. It's the Christian faith. It's the sound teaching. It's the truth. It's the doctrine. All these things that Paul has talked to Timothy about in these first five chapters before now. He says there are gonna be folks who come around and they would love to knock that out of your hand. They love to steal it. They love to destroy it. But it's up to you, it's up to the church over, the ne- over now, through the next centuries, through millennia, to keep this truth protected. Pass it down so that we are beneficiaries of that today. The precious truth. Sometimes, though, we get the idea when we're protecting stuff that that means you stick it in a safe and forget about it. You put it in a time capsule and bury it, and no one even knows it's there for 2,000 years. Think if that would have happened. Think if that would have happened, and we would not have been given this treasure, this truth, this precious truth down through the years. The the, the, the thought is, you can't take the ball out of the game. I was watching, and I couldn't remember what game it was, and somebody told me uh, after the first service, it was last week's St. Ignatius uh, mentor game. Uh, Because if you remember, it was snowing like crazy last Saturday night, and and I remember the teams lining up, and the the defense was lined up, and the offensive team broke the huddle, and they came up, and the center looks down, and he looks up, and... They're looking around and the refs have backed up and they're looking around and they forgot to put the ball. <laughs> they go, where's the ball? Well, they've been taking the ball to dry it off all the time because it was raining and snowing and snowing and the ice and all that. And, and so, you know, the ball does no good if it's not in the game. The ball does no good if you're not doing something with it. You protect it, but you can't take it out of the game. And in our Christian lives, so many times we think, okay, uh, I know the truth, I know the doctrine, and it's up here. But if it stays up here and doesn't go anywhere else, it's useless. And I think Paul brings that out to Timothy in chapter, in chapter 6, verse 1. He starts off here in chapter 6, verse 1 of 1 Timothy. He says, to begin with, all slaves should show full respect to their masters. Now, I know these topics are always difficult when you get into slavery and things like that, but you know, as, as you understand the culture that Paul is writing in, and certainly the Bible always, always upholds the dignity of individuals created in God's image all the time. And Paul is writing here, but he's writing here people that are involved in a culture. People who study population growth and things like that estimate that at the time of Christ, there were approximately 200 to 300 million people on the earth. Now, that's a guess, but they take population now and look at gross, look at you know, diseases and things like that. And they said there's probably, there's probably 200 to 300 million um, population at that time. I read in one commentary this week that at least this commentator estimated that there were 60 million Roman slaves at that time. That's 60 million out of 
200 or 300 million. That seems like a lot. Maybe that's overstated. Whatever, it's significant. In fact, it's pretty much thought as we read Paul because he addresses this situation throughout scriptures to slaves that a substantial portion of the early church were slaves. And so without casting judgment or on, on, the, on the institution of slavery, he just says this. He says, you who are slaves should show full respect to your masters. And as you might recall too, this note, this letter that Paul is writing to Timothy is written to Timothy the pastor here of the church at Ephesus. And he wrote another book, Ephesians, to the church at Ephesus, and he addresses the same, the same issue. He has this to say in verse, chapter six, verse five of Ephesians. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them at all time, not just when they are, you, they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we're slaves or even if we're free. So he's addressing these slaves, he's addressing these Ephesians and he's saying how you conduct yourselves in your place of work with your slave, even your place of employment, needs to be as if it's done to the Lord. Now you're probably scratching your head and says, what does, God, what does this have to do with guarding the truth? Let's go back, chapter six, verse one. Let's finish that verse. Chapter six, verse one. All slaves should show, should show, I can say that, full respect for their masters. So that, so that they will not bring shame on the name of God and his, and his teaching. Everything that we do, the way we act, the way we carry on ourselves in business reflects on our God and our doctrine. When we're told to keep the doctrine, when we're told to keep the faith, when we're told to protect what we've learned, that means we need to act out on it in a way that glorifies God. Or we bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. Think of it this way. What I know will influence who I am and that will impact how I act. What I know, the doctrine, will influence who I am and will impact how I act. That's how I see it. But my employer sees it the opposite. My employer sees how I act, makes an inference on who I am, and judges the God I serve. And according to this, his teachings, his doctrine. So we think of it in the opposite direction. We think what I know, who I am, what I do, but the world says what you do tells me who you are and it tells me a lot about your God and it tells me a lot about your doctrine. It tells me a lot about your scriptures. And so what we know must saturate our lives so much that it flows out in our actions. It can't be locked away in a safe. Our treasured items that we keep cannot be put away for, for bringing out every 
Christmas, every Easter. It can't be something that we pull out every 10 years and remember, oh yeah, that's a good faith. No, it's gotta be something up here that flows out. We care for it, we watch it. We do like Paul says, we don't let people come in and distort, but we take what's true and we live it out because you've got two choices. We can either bring glory to God or we can bring shame to God. Which do you wanna do? In fact, Jesus Christ himself um, in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, says this, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. For no one lights a lamp and when he puts it under the basket and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. If Jesus was here today and he had a football, I think instead of losing a light, Jesus would say, no one takes a football and sticks it in a safe. No one takes a football and deflates it and says, maybe, well, maybe in 200 years we can pull this back out. No, the football's got to be in the game. The football is useless if it's not being used. Our faith, our doctrine, what's up here in our head is useless if it's not being used, if it's not put out there for people to see, if it's not a light on a hill. Who puts a light under a basket? Who puts a football in a safe? A $13 football. And he goes on and says this, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that what? They praise your heavenly father. You got a choice. You bring shame to God or you bring praise to God. You bring shame to God or you bring praise to God. And it all comes back to how do you deal with this doctrine? How do you deal with what you know? Is it just part of your head knowledge? Do you just come to church and hear and walk out and say it doesn't impact how I live? It doesn't impact my home life? It doesn't impact school? Or does my doctrine influence everything I do? Everything my fingers touch, does, does what I believe Glorify God, or does it bring God shame? What I say out of my mouth, does it glorify God, or does it bring God shame? It says one or two things. Paul says, you bring God shame. Jesus says, no, you praise, they praise God. Which one is it? Which one is it? The judgment they make, the judgment the world makes is not on us, it's on our God and our doctrine. It's on what we believe. If the world sees a hypocrite, they believe God is a hypocrite. God is not loving. God is not caring. Protect. Protect what God has given you, church. But don't get out of the game. Stay in the game. Stay in the game. He goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 and 5. He says this, some people may contradict our teaching, but they are the wholesome teachings, again, the doctrine, the treasured truth. They are the wholesome teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Here again we see the teachings just don't get put in the shelf. The teachings are there to promote a godly life. They promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Did you, did you notice the difference there? The teachings of Jesus promote godly life. The teachings of these other leaders, who I call misleaders, the teachings of the misleaders always cause trouble. Always cause trouble. 
Their minds are corrupt and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Ooh. That might hit us a little little more today even than it did them, although I'm sure this had meaning to them because not everybody was a slave. They had folks who who worked on their own. They had folks who had substance. They had folks who who had money, who had land, who had property, businesses. And he closes that in verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The true teachings, the teachings of Jesus, the doctrines that we hold on to lead to a godly life. All these other things that are put out there by the misleaders lead to chaos, confusion, arguments. I call them distractions. There are so many things. I think Satan's toolbox is just filled with distractions. We see here money is a distraction. We see here the arrogance, the being a teacher, the arguments, meaning of words. They're distractions. Ministries, churches, pastors, down through the years have been destroyed by distractions. Money, sex, power destroys because the world then looks at the actions. They say that means you're this way. That tells me you're God and his teachings are this way. Ministry is destroyed because people have not carefully kept the truth. And you keep the truth not just by putting it away but by living it. So Paul has said protect. Protect protect, protect. But he also knows that Timothy, in his closing, he wants to remind him there are distractions. There are distractions. So the second half of verse 20, he says this. And I think this is where Coach Paul comes out. Paul puts on his coaching hat, maybe he gets out his megaphone, his whistle. And he says, time to, time to do a little coaching up here, Timothy. He says, avoid godless foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. He's saying, Timothy, the first thing you need to do is you need to understand some things are coming from God. They're godly, and they lead to a godly life. And there are some things that are coming from these misleaders, and they lead to corruption and confusion. And they're going to hit you with distractions everywhere. But you have to have a laser focus on the important things. You need to have a laser focus on the doctrine, the truth. And don't let those distractions overwhelm you. In fact, he says, avoid them. And here's where he even starts coaching up a little more. Going back to verse 11 when he's talking about this. Because this verse 20 is just a summary. Verse 11, he says, but you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Verse 20, he said, avoid. Verse 11, he says, run. Basically, he's saying, get away from them. (laughs) Have nothing to do with them. Don't waste your time with them. What are they? They're the things we just looked at. They're the the arrogance. They're the the quibbling over the meaning of words. They're arguing. being involved in jealousy and division and slander and suspicions and love and money and all those kind of things. He says, get away from them. They're distractions. 
These things will take you away from where you need to be if you're gonna guard this truth. Don't let the distractions come in. Focus, focus, focus. The world, the church, many times we get caught up in all the things that distract us. Instead of focusing in on the important things, what are those important things? Paul keeps coaching him up here. Look at the rest of verse 11. He says, okay, I've told you to, 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 to run, but here's what you should do. You should pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Here's his, he, he's really coaching now. He says, I think he's identified six pressure points. I think Paul has identified six pressure points that he says these are things that must be part of your life if you are going to avoid these distractions, if you're going to bring honor and glory to God, if you're going to, if you're going to protect the truth. You need to live this way, and you need to have some pressure points. First pressure point is righteousness. You need to live to live, to live, need to live righteously. You need to follow a general set of standards. You need to live in a manner that promotes lawfulness. But you also need to pursue godliness. When you're, when you're pursuing this righteousness, you need to do it in a manner that gives honor and reverence to God, that fears God. I want to be like God. I want to be in his image. I want to be formed. I want to pursue being like him. Pursue that. Timothy, another pressure point. Don't forget your faith. Pursue it. Don't, don't let up on it. Laser light focus. Never let up on your trust in God. When you're walking through the tough times, keep your faith. Keep your trust. Believe me. Believe me and trust me for all I can do for you. And Timothy, pursue love. Pursue love. That's a pressure point. This is the agape love that we read about. Agape, the Greek word in the Bible. It's a pure love. It's God's love. It's a love that's selfless. It's a love that's steadfast. And he says, Timothy... It's not always going to be easy, and this could be a long battle. Pursue perseverance. You know, the thing that probably knocks us out from being per perseverant is the distractions. We get pulled off here and pulled off there, and, and we're, all of a sudden we're saying, well, I'm not persevering, I'm giving up. And, and, and Paul is saying here, this, could be a, this is going to be a four-quarter game. This game even could go into overtime. And you need to be there, and you need to be there the whole time. You need to give your best. You need this laser-like focus on persevering. And he said, in all of this, you need, to, you need to maybe just glance over for a second. Don't get distracted, but see the arrogance of those other folks? See the attitudes they have? No, no, no. You need to pursue gentleness. You need to pursue meekness. You need to pursue loving folks in a pure and humble and merciful way. And so those are the six pressure points. Paul, or Timothy, are you up to it? Are you up to it? And I think he's calling us this morning as we go out, as we live this life, how can we do it? How can we keep a laser light focus? He's given us. This is very similar to what he does in Galatians when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But he says it's righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. And you know what? Have you seen that commercial, the Ford commercial recently, where they're driving and they said, um, or, is and is better than or. You don't want to have nuts or bolts. You don't want to have sweet or sour chicken. You know, those, that, those, it drives me nuts, those commercials. Anyhow, um, 
We were talking about that in the growth group last week, that commercial. Well, this is, this is and, this is all and. Go back and read it. It's righteousness and godliness. And the verse says, and along with that, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. This is not, well, I'd like to have this one and this one, but not that one. No, he says, these are six pressure points. And if you don't keep them all, and if you don't got them all tight, you're, you could be in trouble. You could be in danger of fumbling. You could be in danger of losing the protection uh, that you were keeping on this gospel. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that, Timothy. You don't want to do that church. This is the church's job. And we need to go out as we share the gospel, the doctrine, as we keep it pure, we got to go out with attitudes of righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. We need to. Paul's calling us to. And he follows that up in verse 13. He says, and, another and, I charge you before God who gives life to all, and before Jesus Christ, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command, this one, that one about the righteousness, gentleness, faith, love, perseverance, and, and godliness, without wavering, all the time, all four quarters, even in the overtime, you need to keep doing it. Then no one can find fault with you. And now, from now until our Lord Jesus comes again. And then he goes on and he has another comment for those rich ones, the rich folks. He says, teach those who are rich in the world not to be proud, not to trust in their money. Again, trust was one of those pressure points, but it's a trust in God. Trust is faith, part of the faith. It's part of the pressure point. which is so unreliable, they should trust in their God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. Again, it affects what we do. Our doctrine impacts our actions. And generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing so, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true Life, life to the full, abundant life. This is how we do it. And so that brings us to the end of Paul's thoughts and comments. But it's not the last word to the church at Ephesus. In fact, if you know, uh, we even read out of earlier 2 Timothy, there was a second letter to Timothy written much later. There's the book that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, but that's still not the last word to the church at Ephesus. The last word comes in Revelation chapter two. And this word is not from Paul, it's not from apostle, it's not from a teacher. These words are from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, in, dict in telling John what to write, says this in chapter two, verse two, and this is to the church at Ephesus. He says this, I know all the things you do. I know them all. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I, don't, I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You examine the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. You know, Jesus here 
is pleased. And if I'm thinking, if I'm part of this church, I'm going, yes. He noticed that we're protecting that doctrine. He noticed that there are no false teachers allowed in this place. He noticed that when people do start to come by false teaching, we say, no, this is the teaching. This is it. We don't tolerate evil people. And we've examined their claims. And we say, no, we are good. We got the truth right, and it's up here. Unfortunately, it doesn't end there. Verse four, but, <laughs> don't like that word, do we? <laughs> but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Those pressure points, oh, they were, they, they were excelling in some, but he said there's not all of them. In your, in your zeal to serve, somehow you became distracted. You lost your laser focus. And you just didn't remember when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You forgot it. You got distracted somewhere along the line. You know, I was reading this week, and this, what I was reading had nothing to do with my sermon preparation, but it was just something that came across my desk, a study that had been done, an organization that does studies. And they said they studied new churches and new denominations. And new churches and new denominations, they say, keep their fervor, their original fervor, for about 30 years. After 30 years, it starts to fade. It's interesting, based on the dates that we believe John wrote and when Paul wrote, we think there's 30 to 35 years in between. John wrote much later, especially Revelation. And so it's possible, as you think about it, and put those two studies, that study together and that thought, that it's been about 30, 35 years. Where has their fervor gone? Where has the love gone? Today, today, Sheila and I are celebrating anniversary number 34. Yeah, how about that? Thank you. But you know that falls right into that 30 to 35 range. <laughs> she knew she was in trouble when the, when the preacher, instead of saying do you or whatever, he says, Is, are you willing to bury, bear this cross? When, <laughs> during the, but she knew, but anyhow, it, um, it's been great. But I look back at this and I say, Okay, look how far you've fallen. Turn back. Do the worst you did at first. Do we, do, we, do we go back even to our relationships and do we let them sometimes slide and, and get away from that laser focus of what brought you together? What do you remember? What is it that they need to do? And I think Jesus is saying here, he's saying you lost your first love. You need to get back to it. You need to remember my words. You need to get those pressure points and you need to apply them to your life. And you need to do it, not just individually, but you need to do it as a church. As a church. Are you gentle? Are you persevering? Do you love? Are you faithful? Do you pursue godliness and righteousness? Paul says, what is of most importance? What is of most importance? I think at this point, he would say to, him, to us, Paul, what is most important to him. Back in chapter one, verse 15, he says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then his commentary. I think this is the most important part. 
I am the worst of all. We sang earlier the song, it says, I called, you answered. Remember back to the fervor that we had. Take it, guard it, protect it. What is it? What is it? What is that doctrine? Well, folks down through the years have tried to summarize it. Paul just did a little bit there. Others have summarized this gospel so they could memorize it. You know, we've, in the early church, they would memorize the Lord's Prayer. They would memorize the Ten Commandments. And then they would come and start to memorize creeds that they could pass on down through the ages, down through the centuries. Much of that was even before the New Testament was formally put together. One that started centuries and centuries ago, traced some back all the way to the second century, first century Christians, is the Apostles' Creed. It just says, here's what we believe. It's gone through word changes over the years because words tend to change meanings, and we change for that. But this version is the version that's in the back of the hymnal, so I think it's the French Church-approved version. Would you stand with me? And I just want us this morning to together as a church proclaim what we believe, what we're holding fast to, what is our treasure. This is it. Let's read together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You know, that's been given for us to memorize and the gospel in just a short version. Others, like Travis Cottrell, have put the same type of thought into music. Let's sing together our faith.
power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power Father, this morning we just come to you as uh, your people, your church, holding precious the truth. And Lord, it's our desire to live it out. We thank you that uh, this has been preserved to us by faithful people. We want to be faithful to those who are coming, to pass on your word and its truth and its beauty, its life-changing power to generations until you come again to claim us. Lord, we thank you and praise you. This morning, if there are some that just want to come and talk to me about this new life in Christ, about this doctrine we've been talking about, feel free to stop down. I'll be down here at the front. But I want to close this morning with a benediction and it's simply the last words out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul closes this. May God's grace be with you all. Amen. You're dismissed.